All right, everybody, let's go ahead and find our places again. Man, it's good to see you guys. Just getting around to each other and welcoming each other. We're very, very thankful for your participation here with us today. We are going to take a couple of weeks today and, and next Sunday, certainly, and like we would every year, just kind of talk a little bit about this Christmas holiday season. I'm actually going to start by kind of setting the stage. It's, it's, a little, it's, it's a little negative. I mean, bear with me because, I mean, the gospel starts out negative. It gets good. Hopefully this will get good, too. We'll see, we'll see what happens, but I, I was thinking about this, and I, and I thought, I don't know if this has happened to any of you. Don't say out loud or nothing, but have you ever been robbed? Have you ever, like, had your house broken into and been robbed? That happened to my family when I was young. It was actually this time of the year. It was around New Year's. I'll never forget it. I was a young teenager, and my mom and dad and I went out with some friends, and New Year's Eve, it's weird that we did this, but we went bowling. And uh, it wasn't late when we finished and we came back to the house. We came back to the house and the house was wide open. The lights were on and it was clear that somebody had been in the house. In fact, to this day, we're not 100% sure that maybe the guy wasn't, or guys, whoever, wasn't in the house like we interrupted him when we got there. And, uh, you know, again, I'm a young teenager or whatever, and my dad ran in and, and he realized what was going on. And shouted to my mother, go get the gun. <laughs> so my mom dashes off to the bedroom and comes back and said, the gun's gone. And I was like, holy, I'm like diving in the bushes. Like, <laughs> the bad guys have our gun, whatever. Um, that whole event, they stole my guitar, by the way. That was not good. Um, that whole event... If it's ever happened to you, it just leaves a pit in your stomach. And, and there's residual that just rides with you for a while. You know, I don't know if you know this or not. Some of you might know. I don't need to mention the name. But one of our supported missionaries, a good personal friend of mine, not long ago, uh, just had a theft occur in the house he was staying. He and his wife were asleep in their bedroom, and a thief entered the bedroom while they were sleeping and took some stuff. Well, that's traumatic. Um, I, it takes a while to get over that. When you don't feel safe anymore in your own space, I mean, you feel violated. And there's some trauma that's going to follow you with that afterward. Well, I, I say all of that to say that, I don't know about you, but 2020 kind of feels like an entire year we've been robbed of something. Feel like somebody's coming to our lives uninvited and taking things that belong to us. A lot of people feel violated, and there's a lingering pit in our stomachs. Listen, it's been a tough year for everybody, some more than others. It's a lot of fear and misinformation, a lot of manipulation and political overreach. There's a lot of confusion and division, all like we've never seen before, at least in this country. And we're to believe that it's all because of COVID, a flu virus that somehow made its way out of a wet market in Wuhan, China, and traveled all across the globe, somehow decided to not land in Beijing. I don't know how that happened. 
Listen, there's no doubt people are affected by COVID and it's a real virus and it's serious and well, the theme of modern politics is let no crisis go to waste. So all of this certainly has been over-politicized. So with all of that weird introduction, what I would like to do today is wish a Merry COVID Christmas to you. <laughs> I mean that from the bottom of my heart. That's the title of today's message, Merry COVID Christmas. How can we have a Merry Christmas when our lives have been so violated? Who is responsible for all of this? Who's to blame? China? Russia? George Soros? Bill Gates? The deep state? Listen, don't forget who is the spiritual force behind all of world politics. I will remind you of Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. This is during the temptation of Jesus Christ, and the serpent comes to him. It says in verse 8, Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them, and saith unto him, unto Jesus, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. And Jesus doesn't say to the devil, What do you mean, you'll give them to me? They're not yours. No, actually, all the kingdoms of this world have temporarily been given into the hands of the devil, spiritually speaking. So our study today is going to come from John chapter 10. And John chapter 10 begins by telling us, you can open your Bibles to John chapter 10. Um, John chapter 10 begins by telling us a parable of a thief. And this thief is described basically as anyone who attempts to make his own way into eternal life and doesn't enter in through the door. And then John chapter 10 makes it very clear that Jesus Christ is the door. And so this thief comes and he, he tries to deceive the sheep. It's because he's a liar and he's the father of lies. Well, in this parable, the thief is the devil. And there's really only one verse that I want to look at today in the context of this subject, and that's verse number 10, maybe the most well-known verse in that chapter to most of you, where it says in verse 10, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come, Jesus said, that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Why would you bring this up at the time of Christmas? Because in this verse, Jesus says, I am come for a specific purpose. And that's what Christmas is. Christmas is the coming of Jesus Christ. It's the introduction of God in human flesh to this world. Why exactly did God come to earth as a man and dwell among us? We're going to look at that today. What was his ultimate purpose? Well, the Bible clearly tells us. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to guess. So before we get into our outline... Um, let's just go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll jump in and see. Heavenly Father, thank you for the truth of your word as always, and thank you that you have come that we could have life, and life eternal, and life more abundantly. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have accomplished, and thank you, Jesus, for what you offer. And I pray that you would take this message and the truths that we'll understand through this singular verse of Scripture, 
to be able to apply to our lives this Christmas holiday season as we celebrate once again remembering your coming here to set us free. There's many out there, Lord, that are still in bondage to their sin and various other problems that they have in their life. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would make yourself real to them this Christmas season, maybe even this very day. And they would surrender their heart and their life to you, totally trusting, knowing that you're the only real answer that exists out there in a world in a sea of confusion. Lord, we thank you for that rock of stability. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's three things the thief comes to do, and we'll look at them in order. The first way that I've uh, written it in your notes, at least, is the thief comes to take your salary. It says, the thief cometh not but for to steal. He's a thief. So, you know, a little Bible study. We're in church. This is, you didn't really need to, church, need to come to church for this, but can I just remind you that stealing's wrong. <laughs> Exodus 20, 15, say it with me, thou shalt not steal. It's, it's big commandment number eight of the ten big commandments, right? It's one of the big ones. And uh, in fact, if you're doing Bible memory, that's a good one. It's real short. You can get it. Thou shalt not steal. But this principle obviously is wrong. Obviously, it's sin. Obviously, it's against the will of God. Um, it's still applicable. It's not just an Old Testament. Well, that's the Old Testament. Well, it's okay to steal. No, of course not. Paul discussing fulfilling the law in the context of the New Testament, Romans 13, basically says the same thing, Romans 13, 9, for this, talking about the law, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet it, and if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So in the New Testament, Jesus and then Paul makes it clear that if you want just a general summary of all of the detail of the Old Testament law, it really can be comprehended in, well, two statements, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So love is the fulfillment of the law. So in the context of stealing, I guess you could say it's not very neighborly to steal your neighbor's stuff, right? I mean, my neighbor and I are friends, and he has a key to my house if I need it in an emergency, and if he took my stuff, well, that would be bad. <laughs> I have a key to his house. I'd take his stuff. No, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. <laughs> the thief cometh not but for to steal. That's his purpose. And by the way, there's a whole long list of things that Satan wants to steal from you. He wants to steal your testimony. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to steal your ministry. He wants to steal your effectiveness in ministry by making you fall into sin. But on a global scale, mostly above all, I'd say he wants to steal the control of earthly governments, earthly kingdoms. The Bible talks about the kingdom of heaven being the definition of that earthly kingdom, the kingdom of God, that spiritual kingdom. So in Matthew eleven twelve 12, we read, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, notice the kingdom of heaven, that earthly physical kingdom, suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. 
So what have we seen here in 2020? Orchestrated acts of violence in order to steal your right to have a fair and a free election for the leadership and control of this nation or kingdom, if you like. Listen, friends, there's nothing new under the sun. Don't kid yourself. The COVID crisis beyond those things has also brutally attacked our economy. And for many, sadly, brought the loss of income, the loss of jobs. And you know how it is at Christmas time, especially if you have family, if you have younger kids. I mean, if you lost your job, if you lost your income, that affects your ability to have what you would normally consider a Merry Christmas. I mean, I don't know about you. I was talking to my family this last week, and we're sitting around thinking, has it really felt like Christmas to y'all this year? Maybe for you it's been awesome. It's just been a little weird for me. It's been a weird year and leading up to Christmas. I don't know. So what are you to do? I mean, what are you to do? The thief comes to steal. Well, realize what Jesus came to do. The next thing in your notes is, but Jesus came to be your provider. That's what he came to do. Remember the story back in Genesis 22, and don't turn there, but in Genesis chapter 22, we have that famous story where Abraham is told to take his only son Isaac up Mount Moriah and to offer his son as a sacrifice unto God. After all those years of being barren, and finally in the old age of of Abraham and Sarah, they finally have the miracle child. And and that child is born and begins to grow up, and he's a young man, and God says, go and sacrifice him, right? And so, as they're going, and and Isaac is is a faithful son, and obedient, and helpful, and he and Abraham head up the mountain, and they're carrying the wood, and they're going up to do this sacrifice, and we pick up the story in verse number seven. It says, and Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, my father, and he said, here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them together. And what we have in verse number 8 is the very first mention in all of your Bible of the word provide. And it says, God will provide. Amen? God will provide. And that's what you need to remember. God will provide. And not only that, it goes on and it says, God will provide himself a lamb. Because not only will God provide the lamb in the place for this offering, God himself will be the ultimate lamb of God. Because I think we understand that this story of Abraham and Isaac and Mount Moriah and the sacrifice is a beautiful picture and type of God the Father sacrificing His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. And so when it says God will provide Himself, it's not just that God, God Himself will provide for you some lamb. God will provide Himself as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The story goes on. You know the story. And at the last second before Abraham is about to kill Isaac, God stops him. And he does offer a replacement. It's actually a ram. And so picking up the story in verse 13, Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. 
And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. As it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. Jehovah-Jireh, literally translated, God our provider. God our provider. And so just as God will provide himself a lamb, God steps in causes the ram to be available. Isaac doesn't ultimately have to die. And what does Abraham call him? He says, God, you are our provider. The thief comes to steal, but God is the provider. That's who he is. He promises to meet your needs. Do you know that? He promises to meet your needs. So, King David in the Psalms writes in Psalm 23, verse number 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And literally what that means is I shall not lack anything that's needed. I shall not be in want or need of anything because the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord will provide as a good shepherd provides for the sheep. Later on, David in Psalm 37 and verse 25 gives this testimony. I've been young and now I'm old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. God's a provider. That's what he does. Take it into the New Testament. The Apostle Paul emphasizes it in a couple of different ways. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse number 8 where he says, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. How do you read a verse like that and come away thinking, God let me down? How do you read a verse like that and think, I'm in trouble, everything's been taken from me, there's no hope, and I can't make it. When God, let me read it again. God says, man, he's able to make all grace abound toward you that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things. Sounds like he's providing to me. Philippians 4.19, we've looked at it in weeks past, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So I don't know, maybe 2020, COVID Christmas, right? Maybe it's the year God helps you to remember what's really important. Maybe it's the year that you remember what actually falls in the category of excess. Maybe this Christmas... Maybe this is the Christmas that helps you remember to be content with the things that you have. I don't know. He says in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. If I'm with you all the time, if I'm the good shepherd, if I'm going to provide for my sheep, if I'm going to be your provider and I'm always here and I haven't gone anywhere, what are you stressing about? And there's, there's a goal to that because when that happens in your life and you realize that verse 6 kicks in, so there's a reason. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. And I will not fear what man shall do unto me. 
You see, the Lord is my helper. The Lord is my provider. The Lord is the one who's going to take care of these things. You see, the thief may steal from you, but God will provide. God will provide. The second thing, I phrase it this way, the thief comes to take your strength. Well, this one gets a little more serious. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill. So we're ramping it up a little. This is the big one, right? So now enter 2020 and enter a disease, COVID-19. Coronavirus disease initiated in 2019. That's what it's supposed to stand for. So there's a disease. Obviously, there's a virus. It's out there, and people are getting sick. A lot of you have been sick. I have had it a few weeks ago. Thankfully, my case wasn't super severe. I got past it. I feel great. A lot of people have. A few people are doing terribly, and that's very sad, but the percentages are very low, and we can be thankful for that, but, you know, it, it's, it's hard. It's real. I'm not trying to downplay the reality of the fact that there is something out there, but can I just point out to you from a spiritual perspective And that's what I want us to do here today. The devil wants to take away your strength. The devil wants to do it even to the point of death. Because most certainly, no question about it, the devil is the one who currently has the power of death in his hand. That's what Hebrews 2.14 says. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. Who are you talking about? Well, he tells you that is the devil. The devil's the one who had the power of death. And you say, well, why would a thief want to do that? Why would a thief want to kill people? Doesn't a thief prefer to just kind of sneak in, get your stuff, get out? Well, maybe. I don't know. I'll tell you what a thief also might want to do. He might want to eliminate the opposition should you confront him. All I know is this, spiritually speaking, spiritually speaking, the sooner people die, the less likely they'll have a chance to hear the gospel and get saved. I know that. Because in the Bible, you need to understand that sickness, physical illness, pictures sin. That's what it pictures. In a lot of places, but the most obvious of all, let me just give you the illustration out of Leviticus chapter 13, it's leprosy. The Old Testament story of leprosy. And leprosy in the Bible, a lot of you are familiar, is a plague, right? A plague is a disease that spreads quickly throughout the public. We might call it a pandemic. So a Bible plague would maybe be a modern-day pandemic. In the Old Testament... Those people who were afflicted with leprosy were required to quarantine. The healthy people didn't have to quarantine against each other, away from each other. Just the lepers had to be separate from the healthy people. You can study leprosy and you can go to Leviticus 13 and you can find multiple parallels to sin. But let me just save you a little bit of time and show you how leprosy as a disease pictures sin in several different points first off it occurs in your flesh that's where sin exists by the way it's the result of uncleanness uncleanness would be parallel to unrighteousness physically speaking leprosy is highly contagious so you better stay far away from it you better not be hanging out close to the lepers or you're bound to get it 
Are, are, you, are you tracking with me, Christian, about the sin? You better stay far away from people who actively and openly live in sin. You're bound to get it. Once it's found present in a little bit in your life, slowly it takes over the entire body. And leprosy is a disease that deadens the nervous system. So over time, you can't feel anything. You could have all this stuff eating your flesh and the leper doesn't even always realize it because he doesn't feel anything anymore. Kind of like sin numbs your conscience and you don't even realize it anymore. Leprosy is incurable and ultimately it brings death. This is the parallel that I want you to see with sin. So sickness and sin, they're also associated in the New Testament as well. For example, in James chapter 5, 14 and 15, it says, Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And James has a specific context. I get that. But nevertheless, follow with me. Next verse, 15. And the prayer of faith shall heal the sick. Is that what it says? That's not what it says. The prayer of faith shall save the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Because you see, in this context, sickness is paralleled with sin. And so when God sends a plague, when there's a plague that's released on humanity in the Bible, what we find is this widespread sickness, well, it's a form of God's judgment. That's what it is. Another Bible example would be the Jewish Passover in Exodus chapter 12. So the tenth and final plague in Egypt, well, it was a pandemic. That's what it was. It was the death of the firstborn. The firstborn child in every household in the entire nation died. I'd say that's a pandemic. I'd say that's a public emergency. If you were to look in Exodus chapter 12 and verse number 23, it calls the one who actually takes the lives of the Egyptians, it calls him the destroyer. The destroyer. We're going to get to the destruction in a second. But that's the devil. You see, even with the physical, terrible physical effects of a pandemic, I want you to understand something. That judgment was on Egypt. That judgment was not on Israel. And God gave Israel, back in Exodus 12, a way out. It's called the Passover, right? He always provides a way out. So in Exodus 12, we'll just read verses 3, 4, and 5. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers. You know this story, a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man, according to his eating, shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out of the sheep or from the goats. And so here we have this solution offered to the children of Israel that when the destroyer passes through the land, if you take the lamb and you kill it and you have this Passover meal and you place the blood on the doorpost and the upper post, you know the story, that when he passes through and when I see the blood, I will pass over you and your household is safe and your firstborn won't die. God provides a way out and the way out is through the blood of the lamb. Amen. The blood of the lamb. 
So if it's going to apply to you, you better make sure that you find yourself a lamb. But like it says, not just any lamb, that lamb you find better be the lamb. It better be the lamb of God. But it's not good enough just to know that there is one lamb who is the lamb, because as it says in Exodus, he better be your lamb, because you've got to make it personal. You have to apply it to your house. You have to apply it to your life, or the lamb's blood doesn't mean anything. That's Jesus Christ, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. God will provide himself a lamb. So maybe 2020 will help to remind us what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You see, the thief comes to kill, but Jesus came to be your physician. Amen? We read about that in Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 10. It came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You know, in this passage of Scripture where Jesus Christ accepts the fact and, and refers to himself as the great physician, and, and we call Jesus the great physician, and we call upon him as the great physician as we beg him for mercy for ourselves or our loved ones who may be suffering physical ailment, and that's fine. The context is spiritual healing of sin. That's the context. He's eating with publicans and sinners. And the ones that need the physician are the ones that are sick, calling sinners to repentance. See? The coronavirus disease is widespread. It's all over the world, and it's growing, isn't it? Well, when you see that, remember it's a great picture of our sin, which is spreading even faster and affecting everybody, by the way. But we need not fear it as Christians. We need not fear that, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, near the end of that chapter, pick it up in verse 54. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't fear him that kills the body, but can't touch your soul. Fear rather him that ultimately can kill the body and the soul. You see, Jesus is the great healer. 
And all through the gospel accounts, when you read the story of Jesus Christ, he frequently healed people. He healed people often, but not always. You ever notice that? He didn't always heal everybody. You see, because the recorded miracles of healing are not in the Bible just so that you can know that Jesus can heal. He can heal. Okay? Great. But the ones that are recorded in the Scriptures are specifically chosen as pictures also illustrating how He can heal your sin-sick soul. That's why they're in there. And He can give you eternal life, not just physical life, for a few more years, ultimately to die later. And, and the, the examples are numerous, but let me just throw this one out there. Jesus heals a blind man. What exactly does that mean? Well, you could compare Scripture with Scripture and go someplace like 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, in whom the small g, God of this world, that's the devil, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And we could go on and on through the gospel accounts of the various kinds and ways of healings and all the different ways that they picture our sin and our sickness and how the elements of Jesus Christ saving our souls takes care of that eternally. But spiritual blindness leads to unbelief and it leads to an eternity separated from God. And Jesus heals blindness so you can be saved. So why did Jesus come? Well, John 10.10 says, I am come that they might have life. And that's eternal life. So throughout the Gospels, that's how he's referred to. In John chapter 4 and verse 10, he's referred to as living water. In John 6, 48 to 51, he's called the bread of life. In John eleven twenty five, he's the resurrection and the life. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 1, he's the word of life. Everybody knows John 14, 6, I am the life. And 1 Timothy 1, 15 says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world. Why? To save sinners of whom I am chief. Why did Jesus come? To be your healer, to be your physician, but not necessarily physically, most certainly spiritually and eternally. Let me ask you a question. Are you saved? Do you know that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Have you surrendered your sin-sick soul to Him and asked Him for that spiritual healing that comes through the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection, the shedding of His blood for you? Do you have eternal life today? Or are you still suffering from the pandemic of sin in your soul, which will certainly lead to death, which is the second death which is a lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. Yeah, the thief comes to steal. Jesus came to be your provider. The thief comes to kill. Jesus came to be your physician. Number three, the thief comes to take your security. 
So it cometh not but for to steal and to kill and now to destroy. We saw the devil is called the destroyer. We see it again in 1 Corinthians 10.10. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, referring to the Old Testament time of Moses in the wilderness, and were destroyed of the destroyer. That word destroy, it's associated with ruin. It's associated with death. It's associated with setting a trap, putting something to an end. It's destroyed. There's going to be nothing afterwards. So it's, it's, it's associated with theft and death and that sort of a thing. But let's ask this question. What else can be destroyed? I mean, we've talked about theft and death. So what else can be destroyed? Well, I'd say the devil has destroyed your ability to live the life described in 1 Timothy 2.2, where it says that we should pray for our leaders so that we could lead a life, a quiet and peaceable life, in all godliness and honesty. Do you feel like that's been destroyed? Do you feel like that's been stolen from you? He does that by instilling fear and anxiety in the multitudes of people like never before. Good people, smart people, now living in panic because of all the unknown that's associated with this virus and life as we experienced it this year. The devil, regardless of the physical manifestation, is destroying our way of life. But remember, why did Jesus come? Well, you're going to like this one because he came to destroy the works of the devil. 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 8 says that, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. The Son of God was manifested as a babe in a manger that grew up to be the Savior of the world so that he could destroy the works of the devil. God is the destroyer of the destroyer. Amen? And so doing, the devil came to destroy, but Jesus came to be your peace. He came to be your peace. And that's Christmas. That's Luke chapter 2. Verse number 10, the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Goodwill toward men. That other verse from the prophet Isaiah back in chapter 9 and verse number 6 we often read around the Christmas time where it says, For unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and as we sang about earlier, the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. So you don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to make any signs so anybody else can see, but just think in your heart and, and consider this question. You've been stressed out this year? more than usual? Can you let the message of Christmas help restore peace? Because that's who Jesus is. 
And that's what he came to do. Jesus speaking to his disciples in John chapter 14 and verse 27 said this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You see, Jesus Christ is the very Prince of Peace, and He offers to you His peace, but you really can't get in on it unless you receive Him as your personal Lord and Savior, thus bringing peace. And that's what we see in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 1. It all starts with salvation. Romans 5.1, therefore, being justified by faith, therefore, now that you've received Christ by faith, made just as if I'd never sinned, now you're born again, justified by faith, now we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He writes to the Ephesian church in chapter 2, and he he references their path, and he says, starting in verse 11, wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time, when you were still unsaved, right, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now... Praise God, now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. That's reconciliation. That's what he does. And once you have peace with God, because you've reconciled your sin situation by confessing it to him to pay for you, then you can have the peace of God to rule in your hearts every day. Wayne read a little bit of this earlier, and it's kind of cool that he did. It's at the end of this message. Philippians 4, I'm going to start in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing. Don't allow yourself to be full of care and worry and fear and anxiety over anything. Be careful for nothing, but... In everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And what's going to happen? The peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You see, now it's not peace with God. You make your peace with God through your salvation. But after that, you continue on your life, and, well, life's tricky. It's hard. And sometimes you lose that peace in your soul that you need to have today to deal with the challenges you have today. That's the peace of God that can reign in your heart. You can have that by casting all your care upon Him because He cares for you. You can have that 
by praying for all things with thanksgiving, making your supplications and your requests known unto God. Cast it on Him and let His peace, which by the way passes understanding. I don't even understand why I'm not worried about this situation. I ought to be freaked out of my mind. But I'm not. Because it's the peace of God that's now ruling in my heart. The thief came to destroy. Jesus came to give you peace. That's what he did. So, I think we have a better understanding of what I meant when I started off by saying, Merry COVID Christmas to all of you. See, even with the difficulty, if you can just realize where it's coming from and then just rejoice that the only real solution is Jesus Christ. That's why he came. That's Christmas. And these are things that are worth remembering. So you may have noticed, but we are going to enter into now a, a, a time of sharing and communion in the Lord's table. And so placed in the pew in front of you in those little holders. This is kind of cool. I could keep it in my pocket. A sanitary pre-packaged communion cup and a piece of bread. I need to describe for you that there's two little deals. There's a little clear plastic one that'll get the bread out. And then there's the silvery one that'll, you know, show you your, you know, eighth of an ounce of juice. So get that and be ready. We're going to get to that in just a second. But we're going to share in the Lord's table. And, and, and really what communion is all about, it's, it's an official ordinance that Jesus Christ left us. But, but the idea is that it's a memorial. It's, it's given to us to remember what he did for us. You know, it's kind of funny. We take the time every single year, this time, Christmas time, and we remember his birth. And that's good, and all the things that he did in his life. But the truth is, we're required in the New Testament to remember what he did in his death. Because he came to die. He came to die in our place so that we wouldn't have to. All the things that he did in his life, pictured and presented in different ways, the ultimate act that he would fulfill by dying on the cross for our sins. He literally allowed his body, physical body, to be broken for us so that we could be healed spiritually. 1 Peter chapter 2 says it this way in verse 24. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. He doesn't say, by whose stripes you shall be healed, meaning you'll always be healthy if you're a Christian. That's, that's heresy. He's not saying, by whose stripes you are healed, because you may be a faithful believer who's suffering some illness. No, he's talking about spiritually, by whose stripes you were healed, spiritually at the moment of your salvation. He allowed his body to be broken for us. So we're going to break bread as a symbol of his broken body that he broke for us. He also allowed his blood to be shed for us so that our sins could be forgiven. That's Ephesians 1, 7. 
in whom we have redemption through his blood. If it weren't for that, we couldn't have the next part of the verse, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. So we participate in the Lord's table to remember that he suffered on our behalf. This is a moment of personal communion with Jesus Christ. And normally we have the deacons and ushers, and it, it takes them several minutes to pass all that out. We're not passing anything. So you've got the little cup. And what we're going to do is we're just going to take a few minutes because the most important part of this service right now is for each and every one of you that knows that you're saved, that knows that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you've been born again, to take some time of personal reflection and just allow the Lord then to come and to speak to your heart. Before we do that, I'm going to have the worship team come up and I'm going to read for you 1 Corinthians 11. As I'm reading, they'll get ready and then what we're going to do is we're just going to spend some time in silent prayer. And you can prepare by opening your little containers or whatever and then after we're done with some silent prayer, I'll close us in prayer and then we'll eat the bread and drink from the cup. But let me read for you, and you can follow along. 1 Corinthians 11, uh, 24 might be in your notes. I'm actually going to start in verse 23. Paul says this, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. And so as we prepare to do this, let me just give you one word of instruction, one word of caution. If by chance you're here, and if by chance you're not sure that Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior right now. Do yourself a favor. Don't take of this. Just let it sit there. It's okay. Nobody's going to bother you. Because the Bible's very clear. There's a warning. This is for believers. We're remembering what he did in and for us. But if you're not a part of that, well, then it says, man, you, you eat and drink unworthily, and you're guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord you're better off just to let it go. But if you're here and you know that you're saved, but deep in your soul you also know you've got some secret sins hiding. doesn't matter if anybody else knows it. You know you're dirty. You know there's something wrong. And you think, man, I'm not really worthy of the blood of Christ. Nobody's worthy of the blood of Christ. It doesn't say unworthy. It says unworthily. That's why your admonition, Christian, even if you're carnal today, is to examine yourself. It's to judge yourself. And that's what this time of, of silent prayer is all about. 
Remember what he went through because of your sin. Your sin, my sin, nailed him to that tree. And whatever sin might be active by chance in your life, confess it now. Examine it now. Judge it now. If we judge ourselves, we don't need to be judged by him. So let's take this time. They're going to play some music softly. Let's just pray. And then after the prayer, I'll close this and we'll take part with the bread. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you so much for what you went through for me. God, I, I'm, I'm the reason that you died on that cross. It's my sin that nailed you there. And I can't fathom, I couldn't possibly imagine what you had to go through. It wasn't your fault at all. It was mine. And I pray, God, that as I've examined my heart and laid it all before you, that that would be acceptable to you. I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. I just want to lay it out and re-surrender it all to you. Thank you. Thank you for what you've done for us. God, we couldn't have possibly done it for ourselves even if we wanted to, but you did it. And you allowed your body to be broken and you allowed your blood to be shed and you died the death that we deserved because you love us. And Lord, thank you is not enough. Words are not enough. Even our lives given back to you is not enough. But we can remember. And we can surrender. And I pray that that would be pleasing to you. So Lord, bring us back into sweet communion with you. Myself as an individual, but all of us as a body together, that this body would be a unified unbroken body of holy brothers and sisters that want to live for you in a time where this dark world so desperately needs a light. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. We pray that this would be acceptable to you. We pray in your holy name. Amen. I'm going to read again verse number 24 where it says, And when he had given thanks, he brake it, and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. So let's do that. And then verse 25 says, and after the same manner also he took the cup. And when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's do that. And when you're done, you can just set that back in the pew in front of you. We'll clean those up later. Let me just pray, and we'll have one last worship song, and we'll be done for this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you have done. We, we honor you. We worship you. We thank you for all that you are and all that you do. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be pleased with our lives. I pray, God, that 
you would continue to rule and to reign and through this Christmas season that we would have that eternal perspective and that we would lift you up and that we would reach out and that we would tell our friends who need to hear. We'd bring them here next week. We'd share the gospel with them faithfully. Lord, allow us to be that light. You deserve it and we want to do it. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and stand up with us.